This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. live on joy 94.9 saturday afternoon from noon via the live stream at joy.org.au forward slash listen live or tune your wireless in melbourne to 94.9 fm Good afternoon. Welcome to Techno Gaze, the show where we gaze into the world of consumer electronics, gadgets, and technology. My name is Mark, and uh, in the studio today we have Raina. Hello. And we also have Michael. Hello there. Michael's playing a, a, a big role in today's show. Yes. <laughs> no, no, if it works, I'm playing a big role. The if if it doesn't work, I'm doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the saga of our new uh, our new studio continues. <laughs> it's it's like great a, though. It's, it's so cool. <laughs> it is. It's we. You just press the screen and it all comes Stuff to happens. life. Shall I do that? <laughs> I, I, I don't. Well, no. It's it's going fine as it is. Yes. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix. Oh. <laughs> what does the big red button do? <laughs> does something we don't want to do right now. Oh, okay. Um. So on today's show, we are going to talk a little bit about. Jesus, heaps of stuff as usual. <laughs> How crowdsourcing is being used to uh, help with or, or perhaps hinder <laughs> the search effort from Malaysian Airline Flight 370. Mm. Uh, of course, it's been uh, in the news this morning as it has been over the past seven days or thereabouts. That's right. Um, yep. Very concerning. Um, we, uh, we celebrate the 25th year since the conception of the World Wide Web. Yeah. So not only, you know, I think it was just last year, wasn't it, that um, we celebrated 20 years of it being in existence, but this is 25 years since Inception. Conception. Inception. Conception. <laughs> well, mm. Mm. Um, how about this one? What? Drones with tasers. Oh, I like tasers. smart drones. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> And um, you know, back to back to local stuff. <laughs> I just saw a message from Josh, our friend Josh, who works here behind the scenes at uh, Joy. <laughs> don't break it. <laughs> he just said, "Don't break." He's been putting a lot of work into this, hasn't he? Don't break what, Josh? What do you mean? But the thing is, if it's designed properly, you just can't break it. So really, we're doing him a favour if we break it because we're showing up where it's not working properly. We're testing. Yes. <laughs> no. So um, back to what we've got on the studio, on the on the on the lineup today. Uh, Telstra have made the news. They've been fined for a breach of privacy that occurred last year. Uh, we reported on the breach of privacy last year, but they, you know, sort of to, to bring it full circle, um, the court uh, has found that they are guilty. I don't think it's a criminal thing, but no, um, it wasn't criminal. Uh, they they ha- have been fined. Later on, we'll um, we'll talk about the festival known as South by South West. 
S X S W, I think is the uh, the common yep. term online for it. Uh, we'll be donning our tinfoil hats. Oh. <laughs> There's that There's was Mark's me tinfoil hat. putting it on right then. See. <laughs> It may sound the same as that sound as, as what it did before. Because it's a very well-made hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, the NSA is beating encryption to um, uh, spy on, on everyone. Um, so we'll talk about that. CIA is being accused of hacking into a US government inquiry into torture. So that, that's our tinfoil hat segment. All good stuff. Mm. Um, and there's uh, new super-thin LED technology we're going to talk about later on too. Super. Now, if you want to contact us while we're in the studio, um, you can do so by texting us 0427JOY949. You can email us on air at joy.org.au. If you're listening to the podcast of this episode, you can tweet us at technogaze, T-E-C-H-N-O-G-A-Z-E. Tweet us anytime in relation to something that we've talked about and... And you can also follow us on our Facebook page. Oh, yes, Facebook. Yes. That exists, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) We need some more followers. We do. We'd love to... If if you follow us, we'll mention you on air. How about that? That's Mm. quite the promise. (laughs) And second prizes, we'll mention you twice. (laughs) (laughs) But without any further ado, let's uh, jump on to some news. Now, um... Malaysian Airlines Flight 370. It's been um, a few mentioned a few times. Of course, Ben's talked about it uh, in the news, in the Joy News earlier today, as did Patrick um, in this morning's news as well. It's, um, you know, there's some technological components to this story that we should probably talk through today. The whole concept of crowdsourcing, for example. I know. Who would have thought you could use crowdsourcing to help in the rescue effort like this? But Mm. apparently that's what they're doing. How are they doing it? Yes. Well, there's a company called Digital Globe Mm -hmm. that um, does a whole lot of imaging and mapping, and they're using a platform called TomNod to get people to have a look at high-resolution satellite images of the area to look for debris or oil slicks or anything that uh, might, you know, help in the recovery effort. Mm. So... So we're talking about pictures of the ocean. Yep. And trying to find, like the one that has been made a bit public over the past, uh, I think it was about five days ago or something. There was the a, China a Chinese satellite image. Satellite yeah. image. Um, perhaps looking at, at pictures like that to determine if um, something that might be a wave is actually a, as in a, 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 an ocean wave, might actually be a, a piece of de- debris. Yep, or something like that. And according to... Uh, Digital Globe, they've had more than 2 million people wow. come and have a look. Mm. So whether the people are actually just signing up and having a look or whether they're actually going to more effort and actually looking at images is a little bit unknown. Yes. But still, 2 million is quite a number of people. And if anybody's interested, you can go to Digital Globe, D-I-G-I-T-A-L, Globe, G-L-O-B-E dot com, mm. and there are links from there. Rainer. Yeah. Crowdsourcing. Oh, you're picking on me because of the sceptic thing, aren't you? Well, we were talking about it before the show, weren't we? We About sort of the the human aspect of this. And, of course, crowdsourcing has been used in the past for um, for similar types of investigations of yeah. you know, finding needles in haystacks type well, thing. Probably probably this is this is one of the few times where it has been sort of officially asked for as distinct mm. from a bunch of interested amateurs jumping on Reddit and um and 
you know, making <laughs> making suggestions, helpful suggestions. Amateurs was a nice choice word. Um, it is a nice choice word, and it's, it's very value laden. Um, look, there are a lot of smart people out there in crowds, and whenever people talk about the wisdom of crowds, what they what they're saying is, you know, more eyes are better than fewer eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in fact, what you can have when you when you have these crowds is uh, is some odd things. And mm. looking outside of this whole picture thing for a minute, mm. I think it's fair to say that there are a lot of very interested people who are out there trying to, you know, think it through and you know, make guesses and stuff like that and, and, you know, journalists are sort of starting to jump on that and say, well, you know, uh, a lot of people are thinking this, rah, 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 and it, it you know, mm. it, it there, can sometimes get a little... I, I, I think there's a distinction between, you know, uh, ideas coming about because of people putting their, their ideas out there as opposed to conclusions being drawn from a whole bunch of information that's perhaps incorrectly been... Um, pieced together in in a in a bad way, mm. um, you know the uh, I think there was a uh, there was an interesting um, a point of view put forward a- around you know this guy actually wrote a blog post about about this particular jet the seven 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 jet and this um, uh, safety report that was written about potential flaws. Yeah. Uh, earlier in the week, um, it was around the, the underbody of the the plane or something, and, and perhaps in a certain situation where a golf ball sized uh, hole in the fuselage occurred, it could potentially mean the the air pressure drops yeah. slowly enough for people not to notice, but to eventually uh, yeah, cause until they pass unconsciousness. Out. Yeah. You know, those kinds of ideas are, you know, they're ideas, and they should be analysed or, or looked at by experts in order to deem their importance or not, as yeah. opposed to simply a whole bunch of people coming together and talking amongst themselves and saying, hey, this is what could possibly occur, and therefore, um, you know, come to conclusions that, that potentially have, you know, catastrophic consequences. I, I guess that's one of the dangers of crowdsourcing is that it could encourage group thinking, mm. where a whole lot of people get together and say, oh, this is what I think it is, and all the focus is aimed at that particular thing, and then you forget or you don't get the opportunity to look broader and... Um, group think, yeah, yes. Group think, yeah, yeah. look outside yeah. uh, the, you know, the greater picture. Now, this, this there's an example I think you, you talked about, Raina, earlier... Um, of where crowdsourcing has actually gone wrong, right? So. Right, and this wasn't really... No one was really sourcing this particular crowd, but um, you might remember from back in the days of the Boston bombings uh, that there was you know, some grainy footage and quite a lot of conjecture about what could have happened... Um, and, and you know, some pictures and things floating around going, oh, you know, people are looking for a guy with a black, you know, um, a, a black backpack, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Reddit, um, a bunch of people on Reddit were getting together, you know, and going, oh, yeah, we're going to investigate, we're going to do all this stuff, rah, rah, mm. and they were coming up with some really interesting insights, but they all collectively, you know, sort of fanning their own flames there, fingered the wrong guy. Yep, and in, in doing so, actually... Possibly caught- could have ruined his life. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the sort of thing that, um, and that's, and again, that wasn't that wasn't officially sought. It's not like the Boston Police Department and the FBI or whatever were going, please, Reddit, help us. But all these news organisations were jumping all over it. it. It just becomes an electronic lynch mob. Yeah. Mm. But you, you could argue, and it, this is almost a similar situation where all the misinformation or, or yeah, is is actually, um, you know, there's there's a lack of perhaps progress. Perceived yep. progress on on this Malaysian Airlines flight, 
and as a consequence, people are just going, well, let's yeah, try and fix this. You know, yeah, let's, let's try fill the gap with our own weird yeah. information. That's right. The the problem there is, that, I mean, it, especially nowadays when we do have, you know, such a ridiculous amount of information right there at our fingertips, people are like, oh, yeah, I don't watch the actual news anymore. I don't read actual newspapers. I get all my news from, you know, Reddit or, mm. or, or you know, blogs or Metafilter or whatever it is that they're interested in, thinking, well, yeah, that'll do. And mm. there's not... It's a bit scary, isn't it? Yeah, there's not a lot of control over what... <laughs> what what becomes viral and what doesn't, and it's not always for our benefit. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Technogaze here on Joy ninety four point nine, covering some of the latest in tech. Um, we'll be back with more in a few moments. Technogaze. Joy. That's right. This is Joy ninety four point nine, and uh, this is Technogaze. Sure is. Rainer, Mark, and Michael with you today, and. Um, you're flailing your hands around me. No, I, 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 I should learn how to do hand signals better. <laughs> <laughs> I think the MQFF screening is is no. tonight. Is it? Yeah. Tomorrow? Tomorrow? Tomorrow. Well, no, okay. was it 6.15. 15. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thumbs all over the place. That's right. <laughs> Actually, have you guys been to any MQFF sessions yet? I know it's only just started. I possibly did go to the launch on Thursday <gasps> night. Um, how, how was the launch, Mark? It was... Um, it was good. Good, great. The the, the film that um, was chosen was um, uh, quite surprising. I um, it was a tearjerker. Um, but yeah, I I got um, suitably lubricated afterwards as well. <laughs> In a drunken kind of way. In the sherbet kind of way. <laughs> Indeed. Now, Mark's been listening in and he quite uh, likes our term electronic lynch mob. <laughs> and he thinks it would make a perfect name for a hipster band. Oh my goodness. I wonder if it's already taken. I'm going to Google this. <laughs> Electroniclynchmob.com <laughs> Let's see if it's gone. I like oh, it. Geez. So, Should we what do else some is news? news? Yep. Telstra. Oh, Telstra. Telstra. Yes. They breached the privacy of about 15 1,775 give or take customers My goodness! in 2012-2013. How did they do that? They inadvertently published online personal information and that included the names, phone numbers of 1,200 customers with silent numbers. Whoops. Yeah. I have a silent number. Mm. Oh, well... Maybe not so Don't worry, I already looked at the breach data. (laughs) It's not me. Apparently what happened was there are a number of Excel spreadsheets that were published in terms of you could find them if you did a Google search. So they came yep. up that way. So they yep. were, I don't think they were on the front page of the Telstra website or anything like that. But they were certainly searchable and uh, they, uh, they, you know, people downloaded them at least 166 times that the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner could determine. Mm. And uh, for this, Telstra was fined $10,200 for a breach under the Telecommunications Consumer Protections Code. So it wasn't underneath the Privacy Act because the old Privacy Act mm. has ba- was basically a toothless tiger. The new privacy laws that are coming that in... just recently coming in. Yeah, I think they came in this month. Yeah. Um, probably the outcome would have been far, far different had they been prosecuted or... Um, yeah, mm. chased up under that. Yes, that How doesn't seem like a lot of money. Ten thousand two hundred dollars, which mm. isn't much at all. That's not even a dollar per customer. <laughs> no, it's a bit of a shame considering Telstra is the you know one of the largest companies of Australia, and the amount of cash that that goes through that yeah. company is is which I guess is more of a reason why we as a country need these beefed up privacy laws mm. so that organizations that do breach privacy either on purpose or by mistake will sit up and think about it twice from doing it again in the future well they've in fact been you know they've breached that exact thing before 
Mm. This wasn't the first time they've done it. Right. And in fact, uh, ACMA noticed that as well, that they uh, they failed to comply with uh, the directions from before. I mean, how many times is it going to take? Maybe several million dollars in fines might make them... Uh, might pay us. a little bit more attention. Mm, mm. Exactly. Well, it, it brings to mind as well the other breach of privacy that's occurred, the, the names of um, asylum seekers that have, have were published in a similar fashion on a website by the... Um, by that uh, that particular department, I think the Department of Immigration. Mm. Mm, terrifying. Um, not a corporate entity, but the government agency, in fact, involved did it. And you know what's going to happen there? You know, who, is anyone going to be? Well, it actually, it it occurred before the new privacy uh, legislation has has taken effect. So the sure. worst that will happen is they'll get a slap over the wrists. Mm. If only it was d- discovered a couple of weeks later then the new legislation would have been in effect. Yeah. It would be interesting to read the fine print of the legis- legislation see if there's any exclusion for government departments or mm. not. Yeah, I've got a feeling it's going to take a lot of really bad breaches for people to actually start taking this seriously. Mm. Instead, oh, no, workers, you know, someone's just chucked a couple of Excel spreadsheets. No, no. it's yeah. way worse than that. That's right. And I, and I guess a lot of this has to do with Tim Berners-Lee. <laughs> oh. Blame him. Why don't Sir, we? Well, Sir Tim to you. Uh, Sir, sorry. Sir Tim. Sir Tim. He is a, ter- uh, he is a Sir, isn't he? He's he been is knighted. He's a knight, yes. Um, of and course, we're talking about the inventor of the World Wide Web or the person who is largely credited as the inventor. Um, I would suggest at the time it was a team effort, but uh, he, he definitely had a, played a very big role. Mm. Yeah. So back on March 12th, 1989, which is just over 25 years ago, mm-hmm. he wrote a proposal for what really would become the uh, World Wide Web as we know it today. Mm. Now, that sort of sat there for a little bit, and it wasn't until the following year that he, together with a Belgian scientist called Robert Cayot, in 1990 proposed building the Hy- Hypertext project that allowed browsers to access servers to retrieve information. That's right. So this paper... Um that he came up with in, in 1989 was actually quite a lot vaguer than that. And, in fact, his boss wrote on the cover, vague but exciting, which is probably the understatement of the century um, as, as regards that. But, um, you know, it was basically along the lines of, you know, we, we'd like a pool of information, we'd like it to be easy to use, um, it's universally linked, mm. um, it should be, you know, portable, general, etc. like all the things that we really value about the web mm. now. Mm. Um, well, all the things that we value in the non-corporatized web that well, has ensued since you know the last probably decade or so. But you know the the fundamentals are there. You can you can link text to other documents and um, you know provide information freely, correct? Close to freely. Yeah, and it sort of and it also introduced the concept of client server, mm-hmm. which really wasn't in force at that time. Right. And, you know, when I think about uh, different paradigms now for communication, everything is you talk who's the client, who is the server. Yes. Yep. And uh, that, to yep. me, that is a huge conceptual change. Mm. And, of course, you know, hypertext. I, I always I love the, the term hypertext because it sounds so futuristic for a Hyper. 1980s, 90s kind of it's, technology, right? It's got cyberpunk novels, mirror shades all over it. It's just... Hypertext. But that's what the HT in HTTP... That's right. Hypertext transfer protocol. There was a lot of activity back then with markup languages. There was SGML and all sorts of things. There was the army. I think SGML is the army one, in fact, Mm -hmm. which is their standard something or other. There's a lot of people using it. Yeah. Mm. But HTML is the one that won the day. Yes. And a lot of things that sit on top of that as well. So Mm. you know. 
Thank you, Tim Berners-Lee. Probably be around for at least another 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it'll take off. Now, and Twitter... And, oh, sorry. I was going to try a segue to, to show yes. how popular mm. the web is. You yes. know, popular <laughs> social networking site, Twitter... Um, with its oodles and oodles of processing power, still isn't able to cope. Are you going to blame that on Sir Tim as well? Yes. <laughs> Everything is Sir Tim's fault today. In an ironic way. No. That's right. No, it, it had a big old crash, and it was the second time in nine days, which, um, you know, in the early days of Twitter wasn't unusual, but nowadays this big, well-funded, publicly-owned company is um, mm. actually quite quite worrying. And then there's a bit of, a bit of an ironic twist to this. Mm. This happened when the uh, Twitter co-founder Biz Stone was on stage at South by Southwest, oh. which is exactly where Twitter was launched back in 2007. Wow. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so maybe it was just one for the old times, you know, because yeah. Twitter used to crash left, right and centre. With the fail wow? Yeah. <laughs> what are was... you going to do at South by Southwest if Twitter isn't up? What do you do? Like, who are you, what are you going to, like, Instagram people instead? Or what are you going to do? I don't know. You just go home. <laughs> well, this, this actually, because I, I, I was looking at Twitter this week, and of course my, you know, the app auto-updates up, itself on my phone. They are tweaking the UI, the user experience, every um, few day or few weeks now. Yeah. And that's starting to annoy me a little bit because uh, this is, of course, after Twitter have become a publicly listed company. They're trying to monetize themselves more and more. I suspect they're trying to change the UI to make us... Um, you know, uh, perhaps follow more money generating. Maybe, aspects. maybe, maybe the other thing as well is that they are um, maybe trying to avoid that whole Facebook thing. You know how Facebook doesn't change anything for months and months and months, and then suddenly they change everybody's interface altogether. And there's mm. literally millions of petitions going. Well, millions of people signing petitions going around going, "Oh, Facebook, put it back. You changed it. Now it sucks." Mm. Like mm. Every time that Facebook changes something. People just flip it. It's a funny thing, though. Facebook has the, the, the capability of creating pages, right? You can't yeah. really do that with, um, with Twitter. You can maybe create a hashtag, but it's not yeah. really the same thing. So you can't really sort of have, you know, a I center. hate Facebook's new UI um, stuff. Mm. Uh, you know, um, is, is it that Twitter doesn't really have that sort of that same hate it, it's possible, hate. although I'm not really thinking about the hate so much as I'm just thinking about... I mean, it's it's everybody's place to hang out, right, mm. is Facebook. You jump on there, you do that sort of thing. Um, so whether you're making pages or not, as a consumer of, of a service, people will be sitting there going, oh, but they changed it. I hate that thing now. It sucks. If Twitter does it more often, then at least they can kind of spread the hate out over in tiny little lumps rather than yeah. springing on everybody. And so everybody just a little bit out. of hate each time. Mm. Yeah, just a tiny little bit of, of mm. mild disgust. Yeah. Discomfort. I'm not sure. Do you actually jump into your Twitter client when you get a tweet, or do you just sort of look at the notification as it pops up on your phone? Um, I I'm a bit obsessive, and I actually go into the app because I want to clear that notification out of my phone. I see. You know, but that's well, it's good me. that I, it's good that iPhone has notifications now. Something that Androids had for years. Wait, <laughs> iPhones had it for years and years. About two. Oh, are we going to start this now? Are we? Yeah. All right, let's yeah. do it. You're listening to Technogate here on Joy ninety four point nine. We're not going to have a an Android versus Apple debate right now, much to your dismay at home, I'm sure. But uh, we will be back in a in a few minutes. Maybe minus Mark or myself. <gasps> <laughs> Technol Games.
Yes, we are with you around the world on Joy 94.9. You can go to joy.org.au slash listen live. Sure can. And uh, find ways to, to get onto the internet stream. And you can download the smartphone app and do the same thing, can't you? Indeed. Yes, you can. Yes. Bring it. Yes, and you can listen to us on Android on the smartphone app. Yes. <gasps> Gasp. And there is also an iPhone one. Mm. <laughs> No blood was shed during that little, that little period break. where Mark and I were arguing about Android and iPhone. <laughs> now, your friend of mine, uh, Ed Snowden, mm. turned up at South by Southwest, yes. sort of, virtually. In a, now, in a video conference, you can't <laughs> away. Rain, rain, Good rain luck, up. I'm behind seven proxies. Yeah. <laughs> what is South by Southwest exactly? South by Southwest is, uh, so it's a festival, um, or a group of festivals rather, held in Austin in Texas. There is a film component, an interactive component, and a music component. And I guess depending on what kind of geek you are, you will be interested in at least one of those things. Mm, sounds interesting. It sure is. Um, and it's, it's massive. It's, it's like the biggest thing in the year. Uh, if, well, I guess the longest thing in the year and, mm. you know, any number of tweets and things, you know, emanating from it going free food, you know, parties with Grumpy Cat. You can go to a party with Grumpy Cat at South by Southwest. I want to go just for that. I want to hang out with Grumpy Cat, please. <laughs> Actually, um, our friend Jason, who uh, who's on the show every now and then, he, he has a couple of cats and one of them looks like Grumpy Cat every <gasps> now and then. He just, the facial expressions are amazing. Anyway. Side story there. Yeah. If you follow him on topic. Twitter, though, you'd, you'd know. Um, but Snowden. Mm. Um, he was at South by Southwest. Sort he of. Was. Virtually. He yep. was. Apparently the connection wasn't very good because uh, bits and pieces of the connection had to be uh, obscured somewhat so that mm-hmm. uh, couldn't be tracked down, apparently. Mm. Yeah, well, they didn't want to tra- trace it into Russia. But we know he's in Russia. Th- Russia's pretty big. True. <laughs> Whereabouts in Russia? Who, who might want to take over? Mm. Anyway. Hmm. But um, an important question wa- was asked, I guess, one of the headline yeah. questions knowing, that, that's Knowing what up. you do now, Ed, would you do it again? And, and he said, totally. Totes. Well, totes. Totes. <laughs> totes my goats. <laughs> <laughs> he did not, in fact, say totes my goats as far as I know. Um, no, he said he was, look, he was really, he would do it again, um, you know, really satisfied with how that sort of, you know, bringing, bringing that kind of thing into the spotlight and that people are actually debating privacy and security and, and you know, the role of the government and, and surveillance and all those things that, um, you know, I mean, I think we're pretty unashamedly... Um, you know, maybe not an admirer of his work or maybe we are an admirer of his work, but, you know, we talk about it all the time on this show because it's just such a wealth of amazing information that we never knew. Yes, and and eye-opening stuff. It's the kind of thing that, you know, you Real kind of suspected, stuff. but yeah. it's actually confirmed by, by what, he's, what he's released. Hasn't actually been confirmed by the agencies, but, you know, they're not going to because we don't confirm or deny anything that uh, related to intelligence matters, right? Well, that's kind of the point, I guess. Mm. Secret service. Um, now, he was also saying that uh, the only way to curb mass surveillance from governments is to use encryption, which, um, again, is something that we've talked about a little bit. Um, but encryption, again, is, um, you know, I think it would, it's fair to say that it's still out of the reach for a lot of people mm-hmm. technologically. Not everyone really understands how to do it or, f- or has easy ways to do it. Because it can be very complex to set up it really can. And yeah. if you stuff it up and you've encrypted a whole bunch of things that you've magically lost some sort of key to, then um, whoops. Yeah. Because it is it, the, the whole point of, you know, this really high-strength crypto is that no one can break it for years and years and years, not even the NSA. I think, I think in general terms, like the, the concept of encrypting things is really around the transport of it, right? So if you're sending stuff around the world, 
um, that's when you probably need to encrypt it most because that's when it's probably going to be eavesdropped the most. Yeah. And just a simple fact of encrypting without, um, you know, too like too heavy encryption, but at least mm. having it in a form that's a little bit difficult to decrypt is going to be enough to stop you from from mm. your, this information from well, being look, uh, hoovered up. Yeah, and I mean, outside of the government, um, which I'm sure is, and, and I mean, we did hear this from some of the Snowden leaks, you know, that they are just hoovering up tons and tons and tons of people's stuff. Um, what, what what we can also sort of think about is the uh, the be faster than the other runner thing. So you know the whole story about how there's there's a bear and it's chasing two uh, two campers, mm. and one of them stops and puts his shoes on. He's like, "What are you putting your shoes on for?" You know, and he goes, "Oh, I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you." <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Now the whole principle of you know encrypting some of your stuff is is to make it slightly less convenient Easy. for yeah. devious folks, not just the government, but you know like mm. hackers or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. To, to get into your stuff. Yep. And in fact, Edward Snowden uh, mentioned Google specifically that by encrypting all of their search traffic, which they started doing back in 2010, mm-hmm. they're really making it you know, uh, that much more difficult for the... I think he referred to it as something like the, uh, the casual... Um, yeah. Uh, not the casual observer, but the, ca- the casual stalker to um, get hold of this data. That's right. And he, and he went on to encourage companies to basically encrypt all of their data on their websites, which you're seeing more and more. So I think Facebook these days, everything is encrypted. Well, assuming that the SSL, SSL certificate and the SSL uh, transport system layer is, is actually um, you yeah. know, not hackable in, this, in the ways that it has been recently For discovered. Only on, only on Apple devices. No, no, it was Linux as well. <laughs> it was Linux as well. Oh, now we know who wasn't listening last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now we know. That was 10 years. Can you believe that? Gnu TLS, Gnu, sorry, whatever it is, um, TLS had been uh, nine years. That vulnerability had been there for nine years. To allow people to spoof a a SSL. Many whatever eyes. Mm. And, and, you know, to be fair, it doesn't, it's not just Apple, it's just not GNU. It is also Microsoft had something similar a little while ago. Mm. We're going back across several different operating systems. Doesn't Microsoft have something like that every week? Every Tuesday patch of the month, Patch Tuesday. Tuesday, where they release all of their updates, unless it's a major one, in which case they push it out quicker. Hopefully, mm. a milkshake. What now, else? Uh, what else is happening at South by Southwest? <laughs> How about a drone with a teaser? Tasers, <laughs> not like lasers, but pretty close. Aren't they called teachers? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no. I, I meant it from the point of view that's the only way that you can control kids. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wait, what? that's even worse. Are you calling teachers drones or are you no, calling teachers? No, I don't know. No, no. Kids are. Are you saying be, that? Are you saying my, that in, teachers should be armed? In my, in my experience. <laughs> Kids should be tasered. Michael, the cynical dad. Um, okay, but there's a there's a robot though, and I don't think it does any sort of teaching. Its name is Cupid, which stands for Chaotic Unmanned Personal Intercept Drone. Um, and it shoots an arrow, but it's not an arrow of love. It's an arrow of tasing. It's an arrow of eighty thousand volts. Oh, I could imagine. Stop my heart, baby. Why? Why does this exist? Why? Because you can do it. If it can fly really fast and you're having a bit of a police chase with somebody that maybe you don't want to put a human police Mm. officer in front of, that could be a way to, I guess, I'm not sure. Now, is this autonomous? Um, It's, well, chaotic, unmanned. No, chaotic's the name of the company. Um, I guess, I'm, I'm not sure that it's autonomous. I think you still need to control it with a remote control. No, that scares me as well. There's, there's talk about it. Being, they've got um, 
Oh, okay. No official plans. Right, I misread this. So it's <laughs> no, no official no plans. No official plans. No, they just they just made it for funds. Yeah. <laughs> it's a proof of concept, that's all. <laughs> but I wonder, I wonder if there are any authority, uh, like any police forces or something that are looking at this going, hey, that's a great idea. Let's, <laughs> hey, we can, we can match it to some facial recognition software and let it go, roam the streets. Now, oh. at South by Southwest, they actually demonstrated this in, in a closed room, thankfully, so it didn't go flying off too far, um, with an intern. <laughs> what? what? Hey, you're, you're now, the guy who wants a job. <laughs> you want a job? You work for us for free and we'll shoot you with our taser robot. How it about that? But we'll face- give you a freebie for South by Southwest. It is on our Facebook page. It is. So you if you go, go to our face- TechnoGaze Facebook page, you can see it. Yeah. And you can see this wonderful little intent. But I don't know if it was actually firing um, any, uh, any shock because he didn't. He sort of just lay on the ground after it was fired. Oh, okay. So oh. It, may, it may have been firing blanks. Not 18,000 volts in. No. No. Okay. <laughs> Good. No. Oh, bless. Now, there's something else that came out of South by Southwest, which is potentially very exciting. Yes. Well, we all know about transistors and how transistors are used to drive our computers. And yes. sort of they have a binary state of one and zero. The and CPU is a millions of transistors. Yeah. All, all miniaturised in this little square. And Moore's law says that every 18 months we can double the number of transistors on the CPU. Mm. But obviously after doing this after several years we're starting to reach some physical limitations. Mm. There, um, a guy by the name of Joshua Turner from the Slack National Accelerator Laboratory made a presentation about the potential for something called... Da-dum. Orbital computing. Orbital computing, yes. It's nothing to do with space, turns out. No, but what they do is they use the orbits of electrons around the nucleus of an atom as a way to generate these binary states. So it replicates a transistor, but with an atom. Mm. <laughs> Whoops. Now. And what that means is that potentially we can switch things, because that's all that a transistor does is switch between one and zero. You can switch things... 10,000 times faster that's than fantastic. traditional wow. computing. So that's a huge order of magnitude. And, and and the space required as well, right? Like it's just amazing the um, the, um, the the lack of, um, you know, we, we are reaching, as you say, with transistors in their current state, even in their current form, um, on, on these dyes that are being made. Um, there's only so far we can go before they actually physically run out of mem- uh, memory. Mm. Yeah, you, <laughs> we reach the boundaries of physics. Mm. Yeah, well, that's, that's that's excellent. So at least we'll be able to continue Moore's law for at least some a bit of time. Maybe Laws, Moore's law will in fact um, be jumped ahead of in a very dramatic fashion once mm. this actually takes off. Uh, presumably it's it's got to you know continue on. Yeah. We have a bit of a... a bit of a correction. Correction. To errata. That's right. Now, um, I had this very official-looking bit of paper, uh, special joy notice, etc., um, which I dutifully read out, and it said that uh, Cupcakes was on tomorrow tomorrow night at 6.15pm. Turns out that Cupcakes is actually on tonight at 6.15pm. In five hours and 45 Acme, minutes. That's right, at Acme Cinemas tomorrow, uh, tonight, sorry, from 6.15. Um, now, again, that's, the, uh, that's part of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, so if you jump online and have a look at the uh, at the program, you'll see that's the case. Um, and that means, of course, that you need to get on even earlier if you want to book those tickets for that very special screening, don't you? I'd get on it now. I'd get amongst it as quick as I could. So uh, tonight, 6.15pm. Well, maybe in 20 minutes' time after our show. Maybe. Oh, well, you can do it online while you're listening to <laughs> us true. at the same Multitask. time. That's true. Multitask. And uh, Joy members can see that film for only $15 per ticket. So what a deal. 
I will just say one thing as well. We, we've had a, another message from uh, uh, Sebastian. Who? Hi, Sebastian. <laughs> Hello. Um, iPhone are the quiz nits. Yes, Sci-Fi and Squeam represent. Well, I love Sci-Fi and Squeam. We, I do too. I don't know what quiz nit means. It so. could be good, could be bad. <laughs> it's a yes. techno game <laughs> on Joy 94.9. Joy. Yes, Joy. Techno gaze. Joy 94.9. 17 minutes to one. All of those things and more. We should try and do the entire intro to the show like what, one, one word per, per person. <laughs> That'll sound just great, I'm sure. Can we pre-record it at least? <laughs> now, uh, tinfoil. Hang on, mm. hang on, hang on. Actually, no, keep on talking. Okay, so the tinfoil, um, yeah, I've, I've just got to do some adjustments here on my head. Hang on. Here we go. Uh, oh, Mark's tinfoil. <laughs> so, um... Oh. There's a few items that came up that caught my tinfoil interest. CIA has um, hacked into computers of a Senate group investigating torture pro- a torture program, um, which has been reported. We can we can stop adjusting my my head <laughs> now. I think <laughs> rubbing rubbing there. the top of Mark's tinfoil scone. <laughs> Um, um, so the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee investigating the CIA's interrogation and detention program. Since 2009, her name is uh, Senator Diane Feinstein, um, is a, do- a, a Californian Democrat, and she is a staunch defender, in fact, of America's spies. However, she has accused the CIA of hacking into her committee's computers and consequently has referred the matter to the U.S. Department of Justice. Oh, goodness. And according to her, they've even gone so far to delete a document or two. Mm. So uh, there's a critical document named the Panetta Review. Uh, It's been cited as being at the centre of these allegations, um, which has been suggested that the the CIA attempted to uh, to remove that uh, that particular document from their systems. Um, Now, while the document wasn't of a classified nature... Um, it is reported as having details of spying techniques that perhaps the CIA would not uh, want to be disclosed, and uh, it actually contains details of significant CIA wrongdoing. Mm. Seems to have turned into a bit of a tit-for-tat <laughs> game. You can't hack our documents. We'll hack your documents back. Mm. Well, in fact, the CIA have, have referred the, the matter to the Department of Justice as well, suggesting that the committee actually hacked into the CIA to obtain the document in the first place. So, you know, what's one government arm versus another government arm going <laughs> at each other? A hacks between friends. What's, what's the drama? <laughs> bit of rivalry is good. But there's some telling information around the the head of the the department in the CIA that's going after this particular committee right Mm. now, uh, having been... Uh, a subject of previous investigations by the committee, so there's there's sorts of all sorts of accusations going on there. Which yeah, and look, the subject being torture, mm. torture techniques and things like that is actually kind of a big deal because that's the sort of thing where if you know if if the US is found to be doing things that it shouldn't be, uh, which it has occasionally been <laughs> accused of in the past, but you know it's it's actually kind of a big deal. Yes, like war crimes big deal. Mm. Yeah. Now, uh, also over in the US. Um, just to try and uh, show that the NSA stuff that's mm. been, the accusations or the, the, the revelations perhaps by Snowden and the likes uh, have uh, some weight to them, Stanford yeah. University has uh, produced some interesting uh, research. They sure um, have. They've attempted to rep- replicate the processes supposedly used by the NSA to track 
people's secret wants and desires. Yeah, now the big thing about what people say about the NSA, right, is that they're only getting your metadata. So they're not actually listening to your calls, but they can tell who you called and when you called them and what text messages uh, were sent to whom and stuff like that. Yes. Um, And you might look at that and go, well, what could you possibly learn for it? Absolutely nothing, surely. Turns out. No, no. Mm. <laughs> Quite a lot. So mm-hmm. they, they actually encouraged volunteers to uh, install a tracking app called Metaphone. Uh, it would uh, track the metadata associated to calls made and so forth. Now, the leader of the study, graduate student Jonathan Mayer, says it's quite significant the amount of information you can gain just from the metadata. And I'll quote him, uh, one of the things which is most concerning about the privacy properties we've uncovered is how easy it is to make inferences about the metadata on a large scale. And here's the example. Mm, We had a participant who had calls with a lumber yard mm-hmm. and a locksmith mm-hmm. and a hydroponics dealer and a bong shop. <gasps> what, cause, what? what possibly could they be building? <laughs> it's. I think I would probably need to have some sort of Stanford degree to maybe figure that out. <laughs> but I'm sure that it's significant to this researcher. Mm. But wow, like, I mean, okay, so I mean, that, things like that, though, that's the sort of stuff that, that you know, you kind of want to have as part of an investigation as well. It's sort of, you know, well... Mm. Is, is this person doing the shonky? Well, we can see that they bought this many kilos of fertiliser and, you know, bits and pieces like that, maybe if they're looking for someone that they suspect of yeah. doing that. But again, without any sort of due cause, are you picking up, you know, innocent hydroponic farmers or something else? Like, what are you doing? Yes. Now, to bring this back home a little bit, uh, of course, the Australian Senate Committee uh, is, there's a, there is a Senate Committee, I should say, at the moment, uh, looking into mass surveillance, law, surveillance laws here in Australia uh, and, and reviewing the Telecommunications Act. Um, of course, this is following a public backlash last year of uh, the federal government scrap, uh, causing the, the federal government to scrap plans to force ISPs to keep internet and phone data for at least two years. So um, one can only hope that this uh, study provides some actual tangible information that perhaps a Senate committee can use instead of just mm. referring to Snowden leaks and yeah, so forth. Yeah, or, or concerned citizens writing in, mm. you know, with, with valid but possibly not, you know, they've founded concerns but without any evidence to back them up. Yes. I wonder how you could go about misleading people by making false phone calls and stuff like that just to try and, you know, point somebody who might be listening in the wrong direction. Mm. I, yeah. I mean, you, you sort of, you watch TV shows like The Wire and everything where those guys are using burner phones to, you know, mm. have communications that weren't linked to them in any way. Yeah. Um, and then throwing them out again. I mean, that's pretty hard to do here in Australia because you need to be, need you to know, add. identifiable with some federal um, identification like your Medicare card or whatever. What, to get a burner phone? To get a prepaid mobile phone. Do yeah. you? You do. Has that changed recently? Because a few years ago, I had I bought a prepaid SIM, and the only thing I had to do was register it online and put a, a name and address. But it was like, you know, could have been, could have been John Smith. No, sure. no. I, I bought this. You bought the SIM from the supermarket. It may well have changed then. The uh, the other thing that you can't do is have more than a few of them. So you can't have six prepaid mobile phones in your name. Oh, really? Which is inter- without you know without yeah. having to go and because ask uh, somebody very nice. There's some software limitation somewhere that uh, <laughs> stops them from being able to track any more than what, six. six not, fine, not enough right? rows in uh, in Telstra's spreadsheet. Ah, see what you did there. Oh uh, yeah. Hey. We should offer our consulting services to design their backend database properly, <laughs> so you can have unlimited number of burner phones. You now, are a man of ideas. I want to move on because I want to talk about coffee. <gasps> 
coffee. We live in a city of coffee, don't we, here in Melbourne? We That's do. We love our coffee. And a big uh, sort of... There's there's a lot of um, consumerist coffee, coffee machines going on right now, right? So there's yeah. those machines that you get those little pods and you insert them into and you can... Very quickly yeah. and easily get a get a coffee made. They are mad convenient, but I've got to tell you, I'm not I'm not a fan of what actually emerges from them. But mm. if you're in a hurry, right, and you want something that tastes mostly like coffee, <laughs> and you don't want to clean anything, and also you don't really mind um, about destroying the environment, then by all means use these little plastic pods. Oh, that's me editorialising. But <laughs> um, anyway, so these Keurig machines, which are a variant of, the, of of that in the US, that's amazingly popular. Like I think 13% of US homes have one Hmm. um their keurig 2.0 brewer um is going to include drm digital rights management how are they going to do that i don't know here's the thing so there's a story that says oh yeah we're going to do this thing we're totally going to do this thing but the actual text of the tweets that they said was and i quote our keurig Keurig 2.0 brewer will deliver new interactive enabled benefits which will require it to identify the inserted pack what a marketing drone comment mm. that is. Yeah. So are they going to, what, put an RFID or something on the coffee pods? Yeah, it would seem that they... Well, so what they're trying to do is actually stop you from using a uh, an alternative coffee pod yeah, in from their some machine. Third party. Which, you know, by rights, as a consumer, you should be able to, as long as you can. That's you know, exactly it right. It fits in. And if you do use one of those sorts of machines at the moment, I, d- I don't know if the Keurig is sold here. I've never seen one. But no. here in Australia, there are a few other brands. Um, and you can get, you know, you can get other brands of coffee pods that are not from the brand mm. the retailer going you know this is compatible with the xyz coffee brewer this is compatible with the george Clooney like third party printer thing. cartridges yeah. Yeah. yeah that's exactly right and um i mean in the uk for example so uh nestle tried to take um with their very popular espresso tried to take uh Duolet, which is another company to the high court going please don't do that you know and the fact that it got to the high court yeah. means that it went on for a long time mm. and the high court in the uk finally said no stuff here you can make as many pods as you want i wonder whether something like that would be legal in Australia because we've got something called third line forcing law yeah which says that a company can't force you as a consumer to deal with another company if you use the product mm. or, but, or stop you from dealing or stop you from dealing with it. Yeah. yeah so right. I wonder whether it would fall under, underneath that they're really similar laws so mm. I, don't, I don't know if it's really been tested very hard here certainly with the proliferation of, of interesting looking pods it would also take uh, the ACCC to actually go after them in mm. order to, to, to fix yes. any problems that ensue from such a such a mechanism. But DRM in coffee machines, I mean, it, it hasn't really worked for, for online anything, whether it will work in a physical space. It's an interesting concept. I, I can see a little recycling thing going on where it's like, give me your, your real proprietary coffee pods, the ones that you throw out, and I will yeah. pull off the little RFID chip and stick it onto these... Yeah. Third-party ones. Or just reverse engineer it somehow mm. so that you can just reproduce whatever weird little thing it's doing. I personally think that it might be possibly some sort of sensor that detects the scent of actual decent coffee and says no. <laughs> the scent that can't of be one of ours. Coffee. It smells great. <laughs> Yes. Yes. If only I could put better coffee in, in one of those machines. That would be excellent. This is Technogaze here on Joy 94.9. We're running out of time. It is getting up to the... Uh, it's it's six minutes to one right now. Of course, we'll have um, uh, the nudie foodie with Ooh. cravings. Ooh. <laughs> Keeps his no kid knows. on in the studio, I believe. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, we'll have a wrap-up of the show in a few moments. You're listening to Technogaze on Joy 94.9. 
you're listening to Techno Gaze here on Joy 94.9. And um, the... Um, um. <laughs> <laughs> we've come up to the end of the show. It is, um, it is yeah, it's been great having you on again, as always. Um, just to finish off with, though, a nice uh, uh, interesting tidbit about... Uh, Google Glass that came up this week. That's right. So um, there was a lady uh, named, oh my goodness, I've mislaid her name. Let me just double check what it is. Uh, there you go, Sarah Slocum. So she's uh, she lives in the Bay Area. She's a social media consultant. She wears her Google Glass all the time and she went into a bar and they were asking her, please take it off, blah, 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 you're making this uncomfortable. So what does she do? Mm-hmm. Makes a video of everyone telling her this. <laughs> To show to show what it's like to to be a to be a Google Glass wearer, yeah. And apparently it came to uh, came to blows. It wasn't really good. She's referring to it as a hate crime. She is. She sure is. Really, wow. I would expect privacy to be of sort of the the, the trump card here, right? I would have thought so. And in a private bar, if someone says, don't don't wear your footy gear in, don't wear those muddy shoes in, please put a shirt on, madam. Like, you know, that that sort of... Because someone's recording over in that corner over there. No, no, no. But in general, right, you go into a bar, you've got to live by certain standards, right? Yeah. um, For everyone's comfort, not just for yours. And if one of those things is, please take off your Google Glass, then get on with it. Mm. Anyway. Anyway. Yes. If I ever see one in the bathroom, I'm going to be like, nah. Nah. I've I've been hearing about people sort of developing this sort of little signal. So they actually get their Google Glass and they pop it on the top of their head. Mm. Right. Because if it's on the top of their head, then the camera, if it's possibly on, is is pointing at the ceiling. ceiling. So it's not just, you don't have to take their word for it that they turn it off. Indeed. I do like the glass hole term. Glass hole. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Google likes to call them explorers. (laughs) And they have, Google explorers. And they have uh, have a whole bunch of etiquette. That sort of includes things like please stop filming when people ask. Yeah. Less. Um, now that's all we have time for today. Um, if you missed any part of the show, or perhaps you're looking to peruse previous episodes, you can do so by browsing to joy.org.au/listen-live. Coming up next is Cravings with Pete Dillon, the nudie foodie. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Raina. He, he did a bit of a double take when you said <laughs> nudie foodie. He's got his shirt on and all. <laughs> anyway, you're welcome. Thank you as well for, for coming in, Michael. It's thank been you. great. It was good. Have a great weekend. We'll catch you next week. Techno Gaze on Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.